Hi, I'm Cheryl Prashker, and this is FolkPod, the podcast where we'll hear from some of the most prolific and talented musicians on the folk scene. Get ready for a deep dive into a life lived through music in the studio, on the road, and now more than ever, online. If we're lucky, they might even play us a tune and help us figure out what folk music is really all about. Before we get started, a little bit of business. FolkPod is a labor of love, and a whole lot of work goes into every episode. I've heard from a lot of you how much you're enjoying it. So we've put a virtual tip jar up on our website, thefolkpod.com. Please consider leaving us a tip to help pay for the real costs that go into creating this series. There are other ways that you can show your appreciation, too. Like and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platforms. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at thefolkpod. And leave us great reviews to help other fans find us. This week's guest is award-winning touring artist Joe Crookston. I actually like what his website says. Songwriter, guitarist, painter, fiddler, slide player, eco-village member, and believes in all things possible. It then goes on to say, his songs are universal, his rhythm infectious. He's funny as hell one moment and transcendent the next. I know I've said this before on this show, but you must see Joe in concert, period. Welcome, Joe Crookston. Ah, Cheryl Prasker, I love you. It's so good to be with you. Uh, It's great to hear your voice. So great to hear your voice. Thank you for being on the show. I cannot wait to share you with the audience. Absolutely, man. I was just so excited. I had my timer set and I'm like, I get to talk to Cheryl (laughs) for an hour. This is great. You picked somewhat early in the day to do so. I was surprised. Oh, yeah. I wanted that Barry White kind of low, you yeah, know, kind of yeah. thing up yeah, on yeah. the mic so we could really get in and <laughs> deep dive. <laughs> so like a lot of my other guests, you and I, we've known each other a long time, thanks to the Folk Alliance world and my working for the NERFA conference specifically. But I just want to say one thing. I've been an admirer of your music and grateful to call you a friend. This community is so blessed to have you in it. And I just wanted to say that before we started to chat. I'm going to toss it right back. I'm going to ping pong it back to you and first say thank you. I feel you and I believe that that's true. And then the way I'm ping ponging it back is to say that there was this moment where I was new at NERFA, the Northeast Folk Alliance Conference and all the people trying to get gigs. And I showed up and my daughter was nine months old and I was like, I need to buy her shoes. (laughs) I need a gig. (laughs) And like the next year later, you called me and said, Joe, we'd like to involve you in this part of the programming or NERFA, you know, that kind of thing at the conference. And really, that was the moment where I thought, Oh my God, this is it. I'm being welcomed. I'm not just a visitor to this thing that happens. And um, you have been amazing to do that for a lot of people, but specifically for me, I thank you for that. You're welcome. It's just uh, such an incredible fit. You are what this community is all about. I think the first time a lot of us heard you might've been in 2007 when you were one of the Falcon Ridge Folk Festival's most wanted artists. The showcase itself was in 2007. It's like yesterday. Like I remember literally being stopped in my tracks. You know, everybody's up there doing their songs and you want to be heard and you want to be noticed. And of course you want to be chosen. (laughs) (laughs) Me, me. Yeah, me, me. But you did a cover of Supertramp's The Logical Song, which you then recorded. And I think it stopped everybody in their tracks. You just blew everybody away. You really did. And I think what a lot of young songwriters don't understand when they perform is that it is very okay. And in fact, I think it's super important to cover other artists' songs, and you can put your own stamp on it like you did with this one. You have two songs on the stage, and you you want to sort of showcase your best. Do you remember 
choosing that song and why you did that? I do. I do. And the answer to that is I have this relentless desire to show up as my true self, no matter how embarrassing or how quirky. Hmm. When I look at the landscape of all the different Americana bands and how they dress and what they do and all the cool things that kind of get them ahead. And I think that doesn't feel like me. I'm going to show up with this thing. That's an offering that feels really true to me. And some part of it is me taking the risk as a human being first, and then as an artist to be like, here's my goofy offering that is really different than what maybe other people would do. Hmm. And actually use that as where my power is. In some ways, it's like, oh, Joe doesn't do it like everybody else. Hmm. I think for me, it's authentic to do that. I'm not just trying to be different. Right. There's this quote by Georgia O'Keeffe, and I love this. It's basically this, the parts of ourselves that we are the most self-conscious of and insecure about are the most true parts of ourselves. Wow. True. Right. So the parts of ourselves that we're the most self-conscious of are actually the most true parts of who our essence is, you know? And that's been something that's kind of guided me. Like <laughs> if it feels out of left field, if it feels true to me, but other people aren't doing it, then I'm going to turn up the volume and do it and hope for the best. Well, how do you have the courage to do that? Because we artists, we want to take chances, but we don't always know how. Yeah. Okay. And I just want to be really honest that I get the courage up to do it many times, but some of that means like in the hotel room, looking in the mirror and going, Joe, don't change the song. I'm giving myself a pep talk. I'm literally like looking in the mirror in the hotel room. Yeah. Oh, I get that. Yeah. Before the big show yeah. and saying, your greatest gift to this world is just to show up your quirky, goofy self and do what you really do. And that's what they want. And that's what I want. But let me tell you, it's not like, oh, yeah, I got this figured yeah. out. It's pep talks in the hotel room and backstage and that kind of thing. Sure. I've seen it work enough that I trust it. I've seen it work yeah. enough that I'm like, if I hold back and don't do that thing, then I know it will be fine and people will go home. And I'll be like, oh, no, I let myself and them down. Yeah, well, look, it's 15 years later. And I remember the moment you started playing the riff like it was yesterday. I can see you on that stage. So it worked, obviously. I don't know what 15 years ago Joe Crookston thought to himself before he got on that stage, but it, it worked, right? Right, so... Yeah. Yeah, that little riff. <laughs> Nobody right. knew what you were going to play, right? Right. And then you came in with that. Oh, could you do a little bit of it? Yeah. Oh, I would love to. This would be great. Yes. <laughs> I mean, obviously people can get it on the CD, but it's not the same. Actually, this song is exactly what we're talking about. It's kids, kids in their essence, being totally true to who they are, in their unself-conscious essence, and then they grow up and go to school, and they unlearn all of that so that they can fit in to be a normal human being, Ugh. and what a sad shame. So it's interesting that we're talking about this song. Yeah. When I was young. It seemed that life was so wonderful A miracle 
Such a beautiful song in terms of just naming that loss of essence of a child. Oh, yeah. And maybe that's what it is. I think I'm trying as a middle-aged guy to go back and uncover and be in my essence because it feels good. And maybe more than that, it feels alive. Oh, man. I am teaching a young kid who's nine years old. I've been teaching him for two years now. Yeah. Teaching him drums. But he wants to learn guitar, so I've been showing him a few chords, and he's got an electric guitar. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he'll sit down, and I'll just play a riff, and he'll start. Yeah. He'll start writing words off the top of his head. Right. Right. And he's go, I got to go get a piece of paper and write it down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you do that, and then we play it. And it becomes like a 40 second song, and then we video it and put it up on YouTube. It's hysterical. Whole other conversation. That's amazing. Isn't it great? But never to derail that or dampen it or to kind of say, oh no, let's keep this in a box here. Yeah. No, 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 no. Right. Totally the opposite. Even though right. I'm a classically trained musician now, yep. and I come from that. No. You must do it this way. <laughs> right. Let's play a scale class. No, this kid is like so free. And yeah. the parents are like starting to think that he just doesn't fit in in the regular school because it's stopping all this creativity. He has so much creativity. He loves to dance. I want to see him on a stage. I want to see him in theater. Yeah. And just when you say that, I just thought of him because it's so true. Yeah, it's amazing. And as an adult with him, I feel like looking him in the eyes and just saying, this thing that you're doing right now is your greatest gift. Yep. Do whatever you can do in your life to not lose this. Yeah. And don't let other adults tell you not to do, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, look at me, yeah. kid. I like that. Yeah. You know, when I was in seventh and eighth grade, mm-hmm. it was a lot of trouble in my family during that time. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, that's when shit was going down. That was really difficult in my family. Yeah. And now when I go into seventh and eighth grade schools and I'll do a program on like histories through song, you know, that kind of thing. I do a lot of residencies at schools. Mm-hmm. And I feel like one of the best things I can do is look at them in the eyes and say, you're in seventh grade, eighth grade. You are not kids. You have stuff going on at home. You have stuff inside of you that nobody knows. And it's real and it's good. Kind of tie that into arts, tie it into being true to it. Don't stuff it somewhere because the society says that you shouldn't be that way. No, kid, look at me. Keep going, you know. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Well, society kind of said older generation of family said to me, well, drumming as a girl is not 
Yeah. Yeah, I had that. Did you have that growing up? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. How did you respond to it? I kept going. <laughs> I mean, obviously you responded to it like, watch this. <laughs> I'm going to become a badass drummer, right? It made me tentative a little bit about it. And maybe I was a little slower than some of my peers yep. in getting to the ultimate place where I wanted to be, but that's okay yep. because I love where I'm right now. But I know that you live in Ithaca, New York right now, but I don't remember where you grew up. I grew up in Ohio. So kind of farmland, Ohio. I worked on a dairy farm. Okay. I worked on a raspberry farm. My dad was a roofer. So on weekends, I'd go out roofing with him. So in some ways, I really grew up a very sheltered, mm -hmm. even though my family dynamics were really kind of messed up and bizarre in a lot of ways. It was still kind of rural Ohio. Mm -hmm where farming, dairy farming, roofing, kind of physical manual labor in a way. And then my mom was a songwriter, nothing published or anything, but she would write two or three songs a day, divinely inspired. She would go up into the attic and then come down and unveil her three songs. And she was very, well, she struggled with mental illness. Yep. We've talked about that a lot and you've shared your stories about her. You even wrote a song. Nazarene? Yeah. Dad coaches baseball and I am on the team. Mom thinks she's Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. We go to visit her on Tuesdays, go riding in the car. Down the hall into the other prophets are Oh, the rosary, she says Did you see it turn to gold? And I shake my head and answer Yes, it was a miracle And is it true? And is it true? Did it turn to gold? Everything is divine. In some ways, it's really interesting as I looked back on my growing up, it's like my dad was like, you know, blue collar and the farming and the roofing and that kind of thing. And then my mom was just floating in the ether, reading Thomas Merton and trying to find the God in every moment and every bird that landed on the tree, you know? Wow. And so in some ways, I think of myself now as like those two parts of myself used to be really kind of fighting each other. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can imagine, yeah. Like growing up, I was kind of like, what is this side of this divine inspiration and creativity and maybe madness? Not for me necessarily madness, but just more reaching into the heavens. And then I have over here pounding hammer and nails and doo -doo -doo and really grounded in this hard work. And I think for a long time, I couldn't make sense of those two. I was like, who am I? They seem so different. And I think over the years, it's been cool more and more integrating those two. And I think that's why as a folk singer, I've always been kind of like, 
oh, everyone, oh, folk singing is so hard and career in music is so hard. You know, it can't be done and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and then I'm kind of like you with the drums. I'm like, watch me. Yeah, well, so I think that watch <laughs> me is part of my dad's yeah. get to work, yeah. make a plan, yep. build the foundation, get the thing going, and then systematically build this thing from the ground up. Like I've had that yeah. gift from my dad, but then the thing I was building was the sort of more emotional, spiritual realm of songs and connection of people. So it was really, oh, I'm starting to fuse the two disparate parts of my family into a thing that actually is functional (laughs) and grounded and reaching for the heavens at the same time. That's incredible. Now, I say that and there's times when, man, I haven't been there. There's no question about it. Yeah, I know. It's been some stumbling and falling along the way, but I do feel good about that integration right now. When your mom would come down and sing songs, it's something you thought you might want to do? Or when did you first start singing? Was it choir? Was it school band? You know, when did music come into your own life? (laughs) So my mom played guitar and sang a lot growing up. She would play her songs and gospel-y kind of church songs and that kind of thing. But she also played the accordion. So she was a really accomplished accordion player. And yet, by the time I got to like age of when I can remember six, seven, eight years old, basically she played at dances when she was younger. She would go to these polka dances and polka clubs in Kenmore, Ohio. And she would do this thing with the polka bands. And basically everyone would dance, get drunk, sin, hook up. So she was playing for these parties where it was not Christian. You get what I mean? Yeah. And so she, at some point one day announced, like not in front of me, but like earlier, I can no longer play the accordion because it causes people to sin. Wow. (laughs) Right. It makes people drink. It makes people have sex. It makes people like, you know, do things they, they shouldn't be doing or whatever. She felt like she was instigating sin and she put the accordion in the case and put it away And literally like every five years, I would beg her like, just play one thing. So I heard her play and it was rusty and all that kind of stuff, but she could work her way around the accordion. For me, what she did is she put the accordion away and took the guitar up as this is appropriate church music. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. Which is unfortunate because man, I'd have loved to see her out on the stage. No kidding, right? You know what I mean? Like, oh, and to me, that's a sin almost to kind of put away that (laughs) essence that put away that like expression of like awesome dance. You know what I mean? So for sure. But what I would say is then growing up with that, I kind of, oh, guitar. Here she comes with one of her dorky folk songs. Here we go. You know, everybody sit down and like, God, you know what I mean? And now look at me. (laughs) You're a dorky folk song singer. (laughs) I know. Well, I'll tell you one last thing about it was that it was freshman year in high school. And up until that point, I had no real interest in the guitar. It was my mom's church thing or whatever. Okay. Yeah. And I was sitting there in class, freshman year, the buddy sitting next to me was like looking at a Neil Young songbook. I go, hey, what's your name? And he said, I'm learning how to play Heart of Gold. And my mom would just play these goofy songs with like G and C and (laughs) E minor. You know what I mean? Like whatever. So I was like, oh, that's cool. My mom plays guitar. I said, what are the chords in the Heart of Gold? (laughs) And he goes, G, C and E minor. (laughs) And I was like, are you serious? Like Neil Young is using the same chords as my mom. That was pretty much the moment I went home and I said, I want to learn. So she showed me an E minor so I could play Heart of Gold by Neil Young. And once I held the guitar and knew a chord... I never looked back. It was just like, like it was in me dormant or whatever. And then it just like happened. Yeah. Yeah. And what about songwriting? Because your songs are like incredible stories. And when you listen to a Joe Crookson song, these little short movies, 
come to mind when we listen. And they're also anthem-like. You know, you'll write a song that's like an anthem. Yeah. For instance, your first album, 2004, and the title track, Fall Down is the Rain. When my life is over and I have gone away I'm gonna leave this big old world and the trouble and the pain And if I get to heaven, I will not stay I'll turn myself around again and fall down as the rain Fall down as the rain, fall down as the rain Turn myself around again and fall down reach the ground I'll soak into the side turn myself around again come up as golden rod come up as golden rod come up as golden rod turn myself around again come up as golden rod come up as golden rod come up as golden rod turn myself around again come up as where did songwriting come from and where did Fall Down as the Rain come from? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of questions in there. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say about the story songs and almost like these movie cinematic stories that you can enter into, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about my dad and my mom. It's almost like the craft of going down in your wood shop and chiseling and and honing and honing and shaving and shaving and making something in your wood shop. Mm -hmm. I kind of thought about songwriting in the same way. Like I would go into my shop and I would craft and hone and shave and work and work until I had this crafted piece of gem that didn't have a word wasted. Wow. And in some ways, I think what that taught me to do was to craft and take the time to not just whip something off and think it's awesome, but to like take my time and learn my craft. And I'm going to say this simply is basically, I always had this feeling in me of not wanting to be a self-absorbed songwriter. Sure. Everybody made fun of songwriters. Sure. It was always like, oh, me, 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 I, 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 and all the wah, 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 and the breakup songs and all this stuff, right? Yeah, the breakup songs, yeah. I internalized that somewhere early on in my songwriting where I was like, I'm not going to be a self-absorbed songwriter. I'm going <laughs> to craft songs that are more blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I did that. I do feel like I crafted some yeah. really good songs that people still love and I love. But this gets really personal. I believe for me as part of my journey as a songwriter was that those story songs did serve a purpose and they're really powerful and they're well-crafted and movies have been made out of them. And yes, they have been good, mm -hmm. but they also served as keeping me at a distance from my own personal story and I think that somewhere gradually along the line, I became more and more able and willing to be vulnerable and tell my own emotional truth. 
And I think that that's somewhere where I'm at right now. Like, I think you get this journey of like, here's all these crafted story songs. Sure. And the music I'm writing right now is truly just coming from Joe and my life and my heart. Wow. And I think that that's where I'm at. And I have to be real with that. And I'm bringing the craft to it. So I know how to craft. Now it's time for me to tell my truth. Right. And these are not going to be wah, wah, self-absorbed, but yeah, they're still stories. It's just yeah. that you're willing to share your story. Could I play one for you? Oh, would you? Is this recorded yet? No, it's just brand new. How lucky are we? Just more honest from my own self. And they're both good. But this is where I'm at right now in my life, I think. Jeffrey was the visioner and the baker of the bread High as the moon Hanging overhead and we'd eat crickets in the mountains By the Cascade Riverbed Everything has changed Jeffrey is dead and look at how the time has gone Look at how the time Look at how the time has gone and we are Turning golden Maria was the sunrise A Midwestern heart of gold Giving shelter and warmth From the Minnesota cold And we broke apart in the winter So I traveled to the coast Everything has changed now Maria's just a ghost And look at how the time has gone Look at how the time Look at how the time has gone And we are turning golden Jackson was a Cherokee with a long winding braid and that Volkswagen grease, that cello that he made. And we drive through the golden ride like the witch of the Westmoreland. Genevieve was the muddy girl climbing up and down the tree and that awkward family portrait velvet on her sleeves she was hiding and pretending and over time and by degree and now everything has changed Jaden is free I was just a driver from Cleveland to LaSalle Making lines across America like the crack in the Liberty Bell And I'd show up with my fingers and I'd give my heart away And now everything is golden and everything is changed 
Look at how the time is gone. Look at how the time. Look at how the time is gone, and we are turning golden.、Mm-hmm. We are turning golden. That is stunning, and that's brand new, huh? Yeah, that's brand new. I wrote it on piano, so I haven't played it on guitar as much. I think it goes back and forth quite well.、Yeah. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and it feels true. It feels real when I'm singing it. I'm like, I'm in this song. I'm not telling somebody else's story. I'm telling mine, and it feels good. But you know what? It's still universal. Yeah, that's right. I mean, just like all your songs are universal. That was just something, and beautifully crafted. I might say, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Feels good to have new songs and just letting them out. Yeah, I bet. Have you been writing over the last year? Yes, I've been writing. And usually, what writing means to me is, like I said, the wood shop going down and hammering, working on songs. Yep. And now I'm going through a big change in my life, and the pandemic has been both beautiful for me and very hard in all the ways that are probably familiar to everybody who's. Been affected by it in different ways, but I'd say for me, losing all my work and my expression and、mm-hmm. my energy, like in a way, I like expressing energy, and that kind of helps me stay free, stay open,、mm-hmm. and not being able to play shows. At first, was really difficult. This is sabbatical, man. I'm going to go in.、Yeah. I'm going to learn stuff. <laughs> I got my studio set up. I was like Logic Pro. I was really digging into master bus compression sequencers, <laughs> and like I really delve in. And I took lessons for seven、yeah. months from a guy in Nashville, just like、wow. how to do this.、Dude. And I really looked forward to it. Every Monday, I would do that kind of thing. And the other part of it would be the Enneagram is something that I'm really into. It's just kind of like a personality map,、it's、sort of this ancient way of looking at your personality and seeing what motivates us, what motivates different characters. <laughs> and one of the things I'll just say for myself is, I am the type of person who just very open and very vulnerable in a way, but it feels really true, and I can say it without much. Emotion in it. Wow. There's all these levels of why do I play music? Why do I get on stage? Why <laughs>、yeah. do I get、yeah. out there? And what am I looking for? And there was this moment where I started telling this hilarious story on stage about how I've played two thousand shows in my life, and I realized that my dad had never come to a show before. Played two thousand times, and he'd never shown up. You know. Wow. Really. And there was this point about a year ago where I was like, I want my dad to come to a show before he dies. I used to make this joke about it and laugh and ha ha, and then he'd come and blah blah blah. You know, it was like part of my stage banter. You know, right, right. Your shtick. And it was funny, and people loved it. But then I'd be driving home, and I was thinking, two thousand shows, and your dad never comes to a show. That's sad. Right. Like, and instead of it being a hilarious story, I really got in touch with like, oh man. And then that led me to. Trying to be amazing to win someone's love, you know, it led me to that idea of how do we, how do I, how do any of us try really hard to be dazzling, to do things that are great, to kind of show up awesome, so that people love you, so that people value you or see your worth.、Right. <laughs> and that right there, I've spent the last year and a half of my life just delving into what is that thing, and then getting to the point where. Ah, 
I do not care on any level. I might have moments, right? But I think for me, what it is, is almost here I am, take it or leave it, don't care. I don't have to try so hard. And there's something about that that's been kind of freeing for me in this year. Freeing, right? It's like freed me from like, oh, if people don't like it, they don't accept me. They don't think I'm cool. They don't like the songs. I don't give a shit. It's just amazing. Yeah. It's the opposite, though. I understand yeah. the whole thing about yeah. wanting family and all that stuff. But what you give to the audience is so big right. and so important and so large and so meaningful to the people who are sitting there, whether they've seen you a hundred times or whether they've seen you for the first time, it's important. What you do is important. And we've missed being on stage, but the audience, this is a big part of who they are, is seeing yeah. the musicians and the artists that they love. And that was taken away from them. Yes. And it's just as hard, I think, on them as it has been on us. I really like what you're saying. I finally came to grips with the fact that we do this because we get so much out of it. But what we're giving to the audience is bigger than anything. That's the joy I get out of it is what we bring to the audience. And like I said, your stories, and I wanted to talk about a few songs. Like, yeah. for instance, you've, you've talked about your dad being a carpenter. And I know that the song Hands, Metal, and Wood yep. is sort of a historical song for your family. Can you explain the story behind that song? Yeah, yeah. That's an older song. And I would say that that definitely comes from that place of very well-crafted and definitely the hammer in there is that my dad grew up roofing the Crookston family. So if you go to Ohio and, you know, Crookston and Crookston Supply, okay. there's like the big warehouse, yeah. you know, in Akron, Ohio. And that's basically where everybody buys their shingles and roofing, you know, that kind of thing. And growing up, I was there every Saturday and my great grandfather had the patent and invented the roofing hammer. So it's like there's a wooden handle with the square head on it, like tic-tac-toe board across it. Right. So you hit the nail, and then if you flip it over, there's a blade that slides out. This is kind of a detail, but the roofing hammer does three things. It hits a nail in, it cuts the tabs of the shingles, and it measures how far it needs to be. Hmm. And it used to be that you'd have three tools. You'd have a hammer, a blade, and a measuring stick. And then you would do all three of those. And then he combined them into one tool right? and then has a patent. So I collect them now. It's a little bit of a family claim to fame that there's a little diamond shape on the wooden, like they're made of ash. Ash wood is what baseball bats are made out of and what hammer handles are made out of. And so you have this diamond and then in the diamond is A-J-C and that stands for Anthony Joseph Crookston. It's awesome. I love the story. I go to Ohio to a flea market or something and I'm like, oh, you got any? And I try to find them and I have, I think seven of them, you know, I found them or people give them to me or whatever like that. So. Oh, I didn't know that. The story behind that song really comes out of like roofing with my dad. You know, the story I just said about him not coming. Right. That's hard. Yeah. And... Then the part of it where I'm like, oh, I got this great work ethic from my dad. You show up, you work the tools, you take pride in what you're doing, that kind of thing. So I think that that song, Hands, Metal, and Wood, is just very much about a father handing down the work ethic. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, he's showing me how to use nails and wood and hammer and do, 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 do. And you use the guitar. I mean, I use wood and steel. And so it ends up being like, oh, this is the form now that it's taken. It's a different kind of steel and wood. Hey, son, here's how it's done. You get a good grip and don't let it slip. You aim for the nail and not your thumb. And it's like I said, with the hammer head 
You gotta hit it to get it if it's gonna stand up firm You give it some time and I know you'll learn To use your hands in metal and wood Your hands in metal and wood These skills I am giving can earn you a living But I'd never tell you what to do or what I think you should But I'll teach you how to use your hands And metal and wood It's an incredible song, folks. Got to check that out. Yeah, thanks. Another song that, if you wouldn't mind telling the audience, because we will have some new people who never heard of you before or your music, and I know we're going back in time, but the title track of Abel Baker, Charlie and Dog, to me is one of the most incredible songs and moving stories. So if you could share that. Yeah, Abel Baker. One, I always like really weird titles because I think <laughs> weird titles make people lean in, right? Yep. So my second record was called Abel Baker, Charlie and Dog. And I showed it to some people and they were like, what? That's such a weird name. You know, name it Blessings from the Road or something like that. <laughs> right. And I'm like, no, like, no. <laughs> Abel Baker, Charlie and Dog. It begs a question, right? Yeah. You can't look at that and go, what? And so I like that. I'm always looking for things that kind of make people lean in and then inquire about it. Yeah. So Abel, Baker, Charlie and Dog, basically the song, it's a true story. My grandfather, Joe Ganap, he lived until he was 98 years old. He was in World War II. He was based in the South Pacific on Tinian Island. And he was a CB in the construction battalion. And him and his battalion guys built four runways on Tinian Island in the South Pacific. And Runway Abel, which was the first A, B, C, D, that's the Abel, Baker, Charlie, and Dog. Runway Abel is the runway that the Enola Gay took off from when it flew over Hiroshima to drop Little Boy. And so my grandfather just never talked about it. I didn't know much about the war. He was kind of forbidden. They were told never to talk about it. <laughs> but when he was 96 years old at home in Ohio, he started telling me all these stories about basically being in World War II, building the runway, how they had no idea. They had no idea what they were doing or why, why would they build four runways that were the longest runways in the history of aviation. And on August 6th, they found out. They had no idea. The Enola Gay took off from and flew over Hiroshima, dropped the bomb and came right back. And then the word was spread. Oh, that's why we built these runways. <laughs> A little bit of detail about the writing of the song. I started writing it from the place of my grandpa, Joe, <laughs> yeah. kind of like that. I, Joe, yeah. I, Joe was telling his story. Right. right. And he did this and then that happened and it wasn't going anywhere. I was like, oh, this is not working, you know. And I do this a lot. This is very common for me with my story songs is to go stop being the narrator and telling someone else's story and then become the character. And from first person, let my grandfather be the narrator. So it starts. My baby girl was born in 1943, the year before the Navy shipped me out and overseas. And so I held her and kissed her, and I said my goodbyes, leaving Virginia with a thousand other guys, leaving Virginia in the South Pacific beneath the blistering sun, 
On Tinian Island, there was work to be done. Four thousand Navy Seabees on the ground, crushing up coral and packing it down, crushing and packing it down. And they never told us, forbidden to ask. They handed down the orders. And we finished the task. We never knew what the runways were for. And they said our job would be the one to end the war. So it's from the perspective of my grandfather singing it. And as soon as I let him be the narrator and sang it from, in a sense, first person, him being the narrator, it just, it just flowed out. And the diggers and the cranes and my battalion guys We paved the way to the Japanese skies 8,500 feet made of coral and clay And we built them all in just 53 days We build them in 53 days They never told us Forbidden to ask They handed down the orders We finished the task We never knew what the runways were for They said job would be the one to end the war None of us ever had a clue What Enola gay and little boy would do And in the early August heat We all got the news That the runways we built the runways they used Abel, Baker, Charlie and Dog They never told us Forbidden to ask They handed down the orders We finished the task We never knew what the runways were for They said our job be the one to end the war. And I did a lot of research. Did he get to hear it? Nope. Oh, no, he never heard it's it. It's an incredible song. But I also did a lot of reading and research on some of the details of that. Okay. Just things like how long were the runways. So what's kind of interesting to me is I think a song needs to have an emotional impact and really be, ah, oh, universal. 
But in this kind of song, I needed to know that every fact was correct. So that if you literally like were a historian and you went back and you did the research and you were like, yep, the length of the runways and, you know, that kind of thing. And which runway was used and all that. Yeah. Able. The military alphabet in 1945 was A, B, C, D was Able, Baker, Charlie and Dog. So A, B, C, D. And then the Enola Gay took off from runway Able. Amazing. Unbelievable. One song that never fails to make me cry, and I know it's an emotional one for you, but Freddie the Falcon. Oh, yeah. I know. I love this deep dive. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's awesome. It's great. Freddie the Falcon, again, it's the same thing I said about the narrator. I like to tell story songs where Joe Crookston is not telling someone else's story, Hmm. but I let them embody me. And they get to tell their own story. So I like that from first person. And that's definitely the case with Freddie the Falcon. When I lived out in Seattle, I worked for a little over a year where I would take recording equipment, keyboards, microphones, drum boxes, whatever, Hmm. banjos, and I would take them down into the jail cells Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and basically like spend three to four hours making music with co-ed guys, women who were in prison on Jackson Street there at the jail. And it was amazing. Like I would push this cart of all the equipment and speakers and keyboards and whatever down the elevator. I had to go through all the security and every time through the locked doors. And I had never spent time in a prison like in that way at all. And it was very intimidating at first, but it was also like, okay, what I would say about it is if you're ever going to meet people with the yearning to be free... And with the yearning to transcend the box that they're in, literally or metaphorically, it's in a prison. So when you push this cart of instruments down there and you see these guys tapping on the glass, like, pick me, pick me, like, I want to come work with you today, you know, that kind of thing. And then the resilience, it's different than the resilience. It's like the, I'm in a box, I'm in a cage. And I want to use music. I want to make music with this dude. And I want to transcend this moment and escape. And we all do that with music. It's a kind of an escape, you know, Mm. but it's so profound to watch it happen in a jail cell where you're like, this is life or death for them. And I think the Freddie the Falcon is based on a kid named Fred that I worked with. And, you know, I knew him for about a year. I'm Freddie the Falcon, daredevil fiend. Skateboard champ on Jackson Street Skateboard champ on Jackson Street Ramp up and lift off to fly its high When the wheels leave the pavement the falcon can fly When the wheels leave the pavement the falcon can fly And I hardly know nothing and mostly don't care But flying like this gets me out of here And I wish I had something but nothing ain't fair Flying like this gets me out of here Flying like this gets me out of here And the Freddy the Falcon, where he's drawing this raptor with the talons, this falcon on his jail cell wall, 
with a pencil mm -hmm. and just that metaphor and image of wanting to be free. It's like, I'm in this cage, but I'm a bird flying. It's a gem. Yeah. Now I've got these navy blues and jail cell D. I guess I done what everyone expected of me. I guess I done what everyone expected of me. So I sneak me a pencil, you gotta swear not to tell. And at night I draw the falcon on the walls of my cell. At night I draw the falcon. And I hardly know nothing and mostly don't care. But flying like this gets me out of here. And I wish I had something, but nothing ain't fair. Flying like this gets me out of here. Flying like this gets me out of here. I learned so much. And the other thing, too, about it was when you go into a jail cell and you work with people, you don't go there to fix them. You don't go there to save them. Nothing. You know what I mean? You go there to say, who are you? Let's be in the moment. And I think that's what I learned right away was like, they don't want me to come and help them become better people or save them. Yeah. Nothing. Better people, whatever. Yeah. And they're like, dude, we like you because we just yeah. get to be yeah. creative and you bring the tools to do that and you let us do it. And so for me, it was really became very quickly. What's your story and tell it. <laughs> and I'm out of the way here. There's this one time it was awesome. We would just try to get creative, like make a lot of beats. Like there's a lot of, mm, 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 mm. can you get like five you know, in a <laughs> yeah. circle and we'd be doing right. this so like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and then I had this idea where they had these huge, big plexiglass walls that you could see outside. There were the significant big walls, but light would come in. So they weren't, you know, dark. Sure. And so I had this idea to take a microphone and put it up against it. Cause when you hit it, like if you hit the wall, it would go like, mm. So I was like, oh, what if we all stood against the wall? Wow. And then some of them are like knuckling, <laughs> like they're doing like, like with their knuckles. Some of them are like beat by, you know, deeper beats, whatever. So you can imagine like a djembe where you have yeah. the boom. Yeah. And then you have some of them slapping the ring, you know? Sure. So all of a sudden I get these five guys against this wall and right. I got the mic. I'm like, this is amazing. Like we're having this transcendent <laughs> moment of recording magic. Yeah, moment. And as soon as they started, all of a sudden, like the security just rushed in the room and they were like, shut this shit down. They were like, lockdown, lockdown, lockdown. Oh, no. And I was like, no, no, no. Oh, no. This is like magic. And they were like, this is not magic. This is aggressive, you know. Uh -oh. And I was like, rah, rah. yeah. And so they shut that down right away. Whoops. Yeah. But it was too bad. Aww. It was just so weird because it kind of shocked me in a way. They were so into it. Yeah. And of course, the security guards came rushing in. They were like, lockdown. I had to go home. That's too bad. <laughs> Talk about amazing projects. I know you've done other projects like that where you've received grants to write songs. Yeah. To sort of a residency out near where you live and you interviewed people yeah. in the area, right? And wrote songs. Yeah. I did this thing called Songs from the Finger Lake. So I live in Ithaca on uh, Cayuga Lake and there are 11 Finger Lakes across New York. Probably many of you know that, or if not, beautiful, beautiful kind of wineries and yeah. farmlands and that kind of thing. It's really gorgeous here. And 
I'm doing a thing where I bring people now from out of town, from Texas, Florida, Canada, wherever, and they come down and I lead them around for five days. It's called Bluebird Music Tours of the Finger Lakes. Oh my goodness. Are you going to be doing that? Well, I had four of them lined up. 2020, they got canceled because of the pandemic, but now I have my first one in the end of <gasps> September. So I have 18 people coming. We're going to spend five days together. You've toured Ireland. You've done that. Yeah. I'm kind of basing it around the Ireland tours. So the thing about the uh, Finger Lakes as it relates to the project you were mentioning is it was kind of like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Oh, I want to be Woody Guthrie. <laughs> and when I lived out in Seattle, I knew that Woody Guthrie did that thing where he traveled around Washington state and wrote the songs about the dams and the roll on Columbia and that kind of thing. And I was like, what if I did that here in the Finger Lakes? What if I just went to all the small towns and kind of visited and met people and then collected stories and then wrote original songs based on the stories. Okay. I love this. Elliot Spitzer <laughs> was attorney general of New York state. Yeah. Okay. And Sony BMG record label was putting out artists and songs and you DJ. So I know you'll appreciate this is they were basically paying DJs to play their songs, to drive them to be number one. So it's called payola. Hello. Payola is when you pay the DJ. Yeah. It's still happening. It's illegal. It probably happens in <sighs> back room ways, but I'd say BMG was basically say, here's $10,000 to this DJ. Right. And if you will play it 17 times, and everyone does that, it will become number one and then sales will totally cover all that. I'm going to say that's not happening in the folk DJ world, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like, come on, I'll take you out for coffee if you yeah, yeah. try to win that number one spot. So this is what happened, but they got caught. They got busted for that because it was very overt. They were just paying. Okay. And Elliot Spitzer fined them like $7 million or whatever. And he required, this was the great thing about Elliot Spitzer, what he did is he basically made Sony BMG distribute $7 million to New York state musicians. I did not know that. Yeah. To do projects. Oh. So it was like through the Rockefeller Foundation. It was basically like, if you're a musician who got screwed by this thing. Yeah. You write a grant, blah, 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 blah. And then you'll get a chunk of money to go do a project. So that's where the money came from. I think I wrote my grant. It was like $40,000 is what I wrote it for. Oh, that's amazing. And then there was a nonprofit that I collaborated with. They took third of it. Yeah. But it was the first time in my life where I literally like had a paycheck. I got a paycheck every two weeks. It was like $1,000 every two weeks. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and it was amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah. That is cool. That is very cool. Yeah. You did... A project with a Holocaust survivor and did the same thing. Can you tell us about that? Yep. So I met Dina Jacobson as part of that Finger Lakes project. Dina Jacobson, she lived until she was 92 years old. I met her through a friend. She lived in Elmira, so in the Finger Lakes region here. And I got to know her. Dina Jacobson. I mean, amazing. Hmm. She was in Auschwitz for three years. She came across the Atlantic with her daughter, Connie, when Connie was like six months old, through Ellis Island, relocated to Elmira, New York, mm. and basically lived her whole life here after being in a concentration camp during the Holocaust as a Jew for three years. And the rest of her family never saw them again. They all, you know, just she never saw any of her family again. And she was one of the most spunky, resilient, <laughs> amazing human being. And so I got to know her over the course of about six or seven years. And uh, we would play Rummy Cube Aww. and, you know, eat chocolate chip cookies and like talk, you know, yeah. and we had our little things. But it was very interesting. I'll say this, that you could see in her eyes this deep sadness mm -hmm. 
And you could see in her eyes this absolute, like, I have transcended all of that into a place of none of that matters anymore. Hmm. She held both of those. And it was amazing to be in her presence because it was kind of like, wow, this is someone who has come face to face with something that intense. And she transcended it. It didn't mean that she didn't have the heaviness in there. Sure. So I wrote this song. I wrote a song called Blue Tattoo based on her blue tattoo on her arm. Mm -hmm. And it's a conversation between her and her daughter. Again, she's the narrator. One of the things I say about this song is that I did not definitely want to be Joe Crookston is singing this woman's song about, you know. How could you, right? It felt patronizing. It felt disrespectful. And so it took a long time for me to figure out how do I write this song so that Joe, the artist, is completely invisible and the person at the forefront is Dina Jacobson, you know? Mm -hmm. So what I did is the song is a dialogue between her and her daughter. So it's just back and forth between her and her daughter. And it's all about them asking questions and responding back and forth. Yes, my darling, yes, I used to be little just like you. Yes, I played with all the other kids too. Yes, my darling, yes, I used to be little like you. Well, darling, in a Polish town halfway around the world Is where I lived when I was just a girl On a farm in a Polish town halfway around the world And I had you and a strong will We made our home in these New York hills You sailed with me, I sailed with you With the leather suitcase, everything was new That's a good question We sailed to America because there was a war When you're older I promise I'll tell you more You see, darling We sailed to America because there was a war What's a war? Well, it's when people fight and things get really tough That's all for now, I've answered enough My sweet daughter, war is when things get really tough Harbor, as the ship pulled in, I held you close. We were starting over again. You sailed with me, I sailed with you. With a leather suitcase, I was 22. took us from our farm And yes, you're right, my dear Yes, that's a tattoo on my arm I had a family But some people came and took us from our farm And still I wonder But I don't know why 
Questions for today. Why don't you go outside with the other kids and play, darling? Please. No more questions today. And I had you and a strong will. We made our home in these New York hills. You sailed with me. I sailed with you. With a leather suitcase and this blue tattoo, and she heard it. I played it for her at this big concert where she came, and then Aww. Joe, you did it, you did it. And then some filmmakers heard the song and they contacted me and said we would like to make a documentary film about her and you and you know the whole thing. So they spent about three and a half years making the film, and it came out at the New York Film Festival. And 500 people in the auditorium. Dina Jacobson, 92 years old. She sits there in the front row and watches the film go. And it's very well done and educational. And there's a lot of different aspects to it. And she came up to me after the show, 92 years old. And she said, thank you for doing that. Please keep singing that song. Mm -hmm. And then she said, I think I'm done telling my story now. This is going to go on and tell my story. And she said, I think I'm done. I'm going to go on a Thursday and so the funeral can be on a Sunday (laughs) so that nobody has to take off work. That's what she said. She said, she looked at me right in the eye. She just said, I'm going to go on a Thursday and the funeral will be on Sunday and then no one has to take off work. Oh my God. And I kind of was like, ha ha ha. Am I supposed to laugh at that? Yeah. Yeah. And literally six weeks after the film, that's exactly what she did. Thursday, Sunday was the funeral. Oh, Joe, are you kidding me? You know, this is crazy. So the movie is on Amazon Prime. If you go there, you can watch it. It's also had a lot of libraries and schools use it as sort of educational learning about the Holocaust. So that's a big part of it. Good. That's really important, Joe. What you did there is just is such a gift to her and to the world, literally the world. Yeah. You know, I hear you say that and I could say, ah, thanks, Cheryl. You know, yeah. But you know what's true? You're totally right. Yeah, no, it's important. I own that so deeply. I go into schools and I look in there and I say, this story, the depth, the humanness of the Holocaust and what that means. And I finish and I drive home and I say, Joe, you midwifed something into this world that really mattered, you know? And like, I'm not trying to pretend to be, oh, thanks, Cheryl, you know? I'm like, no, I feel that. I'm like, thank you, God, for bringing that to me and then letting me midwife it out into the world. It's important. I have a 90-year-old cousin who is still doing that, who was a child survivor of the Holocaust. Wow, still alive. Yep. 
He's still alive. Very few left. He recently had a fall, and so he has slowed down in the last few months. But up until a few months ago, he was still going into schools. Wow. You know, as of a couple of years ago or a year ago, he was still going on the March of the Living yeah. with students to Poland. Wow. And he wrote a book as well. And those people are soon not going to be able to keep going into schools. And so to pass the torch to somebody like you, or you grab the torch, it's so important. So I thank you on behalf of my family. You're welcome. It means so much to me. And just like the footage of her in the film, close-ups of her eyes and talking and her wrinkles and her spunk and her choking up and getting teary-eyed. That footage is there. You can feel her. And I'm like, wow. You know, there are very few left, yep. you know, Holocaust survivors left. So who are you talking about? Uh, my cousin, Sidney Zoltak. Yeah, Sidney Zoltak. Yeah. Z-O-L-T-A-K. And the book, yep. My Silent Pledge, is available on Amazon as well. Wow. What's fascinating is that I guess he was about, you know, I'd say from 11 to 14, let's say. I might be off a year. You know, he remembers what life was like before the war. So a lot of the book is actually talking about what Poland was like before the war, which you never really get for Jewish people in the small towns. And you don't really get a sense of that joy and all that was good there. And then, of course, it goes on to talk about his experiences through the war. And so his mother and my grandmother were twins. Okay. So we have a pretty deep bond. You know, and he was still going to schools and talking to kids. (laughs) He did a podcast literally four months ago. He did a podcast with a student Oh, and the student was asking incredible questions. Wow. And he was answering yeah. her like she was an adult, like he was not holding anything back because right. she asked them. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. But you're yeah. capturing uh, video, podcast, audio, the story. I think that's what means so much to me is that if Dina had come and gone and mm-hmm. there was no documentation or sort of legacy of her being able to tell her own story. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, make sure yeah. to have that. That is, that's important. We have that. Yeah. You know, this is a little different. Like it veers this conversation off a little bit. Sure. I love everything we're talking about. We could go on for days and days, you (laughs) know. (laughs) There's something about the last few years just listening to a lot of podcasts about a lot of different things, a lot of different topics, whether it's audio engineering, whether it's psychology, whether it's trauma healing, whatever it is. Sure. And something I've really noticed is that as a performer, like we get on stage in front of a group of people and... I think there's often been an expectation that you better put on a show. This better be a fun night out for the people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And that is true. Like, I'm not denying that, but I think more and more what I noticed was I was glossing over some of the essence and depth of what I wanted to bring out because I wanted to keep the show fun. Mm -hmm. Don't get too serious. Don't bum them out. Yeah, don't bum them out. (laughs) And I think there's a difference between deep diving into an awesome topic that you can really be engaged with that has some humor with it and all that. Sure. As opposed to bumming them out. Yeah. I think there's a very, very big difference between those two things. And I think that I've been really trusting more that our conversation today doesn't have to be a comedy show and just be like, ha ha. And then people are like, woo, you know? Yeah. You're right. You're right. People are willing to go into the stories and learn and kind of go, that was cool. That was something new for me. Or I liked hearing that. Or what I like is like, that made me resonate something in myself. So I think in a way, I'm just trying to be less afraid of going down scuba diving deeper and staying there for a while. 
instead of needing to kind of like swim across the surface more, you know? Yeah. Oh man. That's why I've loved this chat. A lot of the chats we've had, sure. We've done a lot of laughing and a lot of giggling and those have been great. This last hour has just gone by so quick. I have a question I have to ask you because it's one of the questions I've been thinking about. Okay. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if you want to share this with the audience, but you have a daughter and I would like to know what it's been like raising a daughter while being a traveling musician. Absolutely amazing. I'll start with this morning. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to say this because I'm talking about my daughter. I'm going to just say this out loud. My wife and I are separating. And that's been a thing that I've been going through just in the last month. I'm okay and I'm good. And uh, what I would even say with that is that it's her exploring same-sex relationships and that kind of thing. So it has a lot to do with sort of gender fluidity and allowing her to go be who she needs to be in that way. And it's hard. And it's been a hard month of coming to grips with that and the 18 years of being together. There's no animosity. It's more of like life unfolding. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say all that is because I live with my daughter now and 17 years old and we sit down for coffee this morning and she said, hey, Papa, I'm thinking I might not want to go to college. Uh oh, I really thought I wanted to go to New York City and get a big degree and do all this kind of thing. But she said, I feel like the world we live in right now, that that's kind of like not the way it works anymore. Hmm. You go get a big degree and you have a bunch of debt and then you're going <laughs> to boom, you know. And I said, tell me more, tell me more. And she kind of said, would you be my mentor oh, man. in creating a kind of an entrepreneurial life where I take all the different parts that I'm good at and maybe mentor with people and take classes and workshops. But I think I can grow my life without getting into $200,000 oh, debt. Man. <laughs> and would you be my mentor? Oh, Joe, you're making me cry. <laughs> I was like anything going uh, on in my life, the grief of loss of a marriage, you know, it's hard. Yeah. But I'm like, that speaks about the 17 years of communication that I have had with her. And what I would say is this, I might be gone for a week. I come home. I might be gone for three days. I had opportunities to go to Europe for months, but I didn't do them because I'm like, nope, I'm a dad. I want to be with her. The short thing that I would say is I know this as a fact that it's not about the number of days that I was home to be in the house. It was the quality and focus of time when I was and the presence that I showed her. And I think that right now when she's 17 and she's like, I love living with you, Papa. And can you be my mentor? <laughs> I'm like, boom, I did it. I did what I needed to do. Yeah, that's incredible. I would say, you know, when she was like 10, I'd say, Josie, I travel a lot for music. Do you think that makes us not close as we could be? She goes, hmm. No, if you were here all the time, I would just take you for granted anyhow. <laughs> Ooh, there you go. And then she goes, when you're here, you're totally here. And you tell the truth or whatever, something like that. And I was like, boom. And I checked in with her a number of times over the years to say that. Sure. Damn, she's amazing. What a great gift to each other. Yeah. If you can do this and she can maybe travel with you or yep. go and do things and take workshops and travel. Yep. I think that's so important. And she yeah. may decide to go back to school later on, but... Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I think a lot of people and obviously all of us are realizing that life is short. And I think the kids are now realizing that yep. a little too young. I'm not jumping through all these hoops to be in debt. Oh, Here's an yeah. example. This is crazy. She's 17. 
And she just finished this three-week program with the Chicago Institute of Art. It's a design architecture program. Mm -hmm. And it's like 3D design architecture. She's really into design, like designing spaces and chairs and, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, cool. And so... I think what happened is that the person who taught the class was already connecting her with like, wow, this is your portfolio. I know some people who could, you know, like they may need some work, you know, that kind of thing. Like he was already getting her placed with some things. That's amazing. And I think for her, that's part of what it was. She finished this program for three weeks, Chicago Institute of Art. And I think it made her realize, oh, I don't need to go to school for four years to get a big degree to do this. No, it's all about who you know. (laughs) Who you know, apply yourself, and she's got the skills. That's amazing. I kind of wish I had done that now. (laughs) I wish I could go back and do that because all the things that I've done have been because of experiences that have led to other experiences that have led to other experiences. And the way you are, when you show up, you do it so well, and then you have this personality that people are like, not just drawn to, I think you have a personality that is ah, I'm welcome here. Like you just do the thing where your arms are open and you welcome people and you include them. And then it's like, who isn't going to hire you? Who doesn't (laughs) want to work with you? I'm no, I'm serious. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm super excited for all that you have. Well, we could talk, like you said, like we didn't even talk about mental health. We could have a whole conversation about that. We didn't really dive into that, but I'm so excited about all the projects that you might have coming up. And I know it's a tough time for you personally right now, but I love the spirit in your voice right now. Oh, thanks. Could I just play you the song I wrote yesterday? What? Seriously? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. All right. This is my little simple song to uh, love in yourself. I love unconditional love. Would you love me if I was strong? Would you love me if I was afraid? When I'm crazy and I'm nervous and I talk too much, would you love me if I had nothing to say? Would you celebrate when I'm at my best? Would you celebrate when I'm at my best? And still love me when I'm just okay? When I'm lazy and amazing and I drank too much, would you love me anyway? Would you love me when I'm looking hot? When I've seen better days? When I'm too intense and I don't make sense, would you love me anyway? Would you love me if my back went out? Or if I took you to a Dublin town? If I wrote you a song, but I did it all wrong, would you love me anyhow? And would you love me no matter what? Would you laugh at the jokes I do? And would you rub my neck? And would you connect? Cause that's the way that I'm gonna love you. Would you love me if I was strong? Would you love me if I was afraid? When I'm crazy and I'm nervous and I talk too much, would you love me if I had nothing to say? Joe Crookston, hot off the press, literally. That's beautiful. So I don't continue to cry. I'm going to go to the place where I ask everybody the same question. 
And this is the one question I like to ask people before we part ways. All right. Tell us something wacky, crazy, silly, cute, funny. Okay. About yourself that nobody would ever think. <laughs> I would say I love to drive <laughs> yeah. and brush my teeth. No, you don't. Like I drive miles and interstate miles. I have toothpaste and a toothbrush and I just drive and brush my teeth. Okay, you win. Brushing my teeth in front of the mirror, it's like so boring. It's like, I got things to do, right? But if I'm in the van, no matter what, as soon as I get in the van, I'm driving. And if I have like a stretch road, then it's like toothpaste, boom, and then and I can really like work it and kind of get into it and like up in there and like awesome. 17 miles later, I'm like, ah, now that, that is a brush. It feels complete. <laughs> I love it. Oh man, that took a lot of guts to share that with us. It really did. I have to say, that was awesome. You asked. There you yeah, go. Yeah, I asked. So sometimes you get in my van, you're like, mm, what's, what's yeah. with the, uh, the toiletry? What was the mint? <laughs> yeah, what's with the toiletry section over there? <laughs> Oh, uh, Joe Crookston, how can we find you on the interweb? Oh, yes. You can find me at joecrookston.com and that's C-R-O-O-K-S-T-O-N, joecrookston.com. Any other social media, cool places where the kids hang out? Yeah, I got Joe Crookston on Instagram and I have Joe Crookston, Mila Grito Records. Mila Grito Records is my record company and Mila Grito means little miracle in Spanish. So okay. Joe Crookston, Mila Grito Records. Yeah. The other thing, I'm just going to say this and you're going to find this or whatever right now, but I have a website that I'm building right now, which is called bluebirdmusictours.com. Mm. And basically what I would say is if you're interested in hanging out for five days in the Finger Lakes with awesome lodging and food and women's rights stuff and indigenous people's history, and you want to come down here and hang out, I will sing for you every day. We have concerts. That's Bluebird Music Tours. Oh. And if you look that up, then you can come and be with me. <laughs> I will. I don't know about everybody else, but I will. Yeah, come on. <laughs> we didn't even talk about your art, so we're going to have to have you back on the show to just talk okay. about all yes. kinds of stuff like that, because you're an incredible painter, visual artist, and all that stuff. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I love the fact that you're doing these tours, because like I said, I know you've done tours to Ireland. I know people who yep. have gone on a few of those with you, and they've been very successful. But I love that you're doing it literally right at home. Yeah, I realize, you know what? My backyard is a destination of yep. total gorgeous, amazing culture and yep. food. And like I said, the Women's Rights Museum and the Haudenosaunee Indigenous People's History. So I'm really trying oh. to tie it in. So it's not like a, a wine tour where everyone gets drunk too much. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so there's going to be some of that, but it's deeper. Yeah. It's a deep dive into culture and the Finger Lakes. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited about that. I will continue to share it with our audiences when you get more information about it. Okay. Let us know. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank Josie for letting us borrow you for a few hours. Absolutely. And thank you so much for chatting with me, letting me catch up with you and sharing yourself with the audience really appreciate it. Absolutely. And I just loved it. And it feels good. You know, there's something too about not being with people for a long time <laughs> yeah. in the ways that we love it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'm like, Oh God, I need to be alone. Too much talking, blah, 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 blah. Right. Sure. Sure. And right now it feels totally opposite. Like, ah, here I am with a good friend and yes, I'm here. So I loved it. And I uh, can't wait to listen to it. And also check out all the other ones too. I look forward to hearing more podcasts with other people on it. So thanks, Cheryl. Really. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Folk Pod with Joe Crookston. 
Look at how the time is gone. Look at how the time. Look at how the time is gone, and we are turning golden. That sounds amazing. Perfect, perfect mix. Yeah, I think it's good. Good. All right, great. You know, I, I would just, I, I would say, if that's <clears throat> the volume you're going to hit, then great. If if there are parts that where you reach further, then we may need to take it down a little bit. But if this is it, then I think yeah. you're good. And I could back off a hair when I do that. When I do my, yeah, 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 my uh, Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> br- bridge, I'll, I'll back off several feet. When, when I, I hit the tripler, the vocal tripler. Why? <laughs> no, it's good. This folk, fuck this folk shit. <laughs> oh, Shauna, that's the ending right there. That's it. She didn't hear she, it. She, I'm, oh, I'm, but I'm, when I'm she wearing hears the only it, headphones. I know, but when she hears that, <laughs> yeah. oh, that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to wrap it up here with Joe. Will any last words, Joe? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck this Fuck folk this shit. folk shit. <laughs> Folkpod is a production of Long Story Short with me, Cheryl Prashker, your host, producer, and lead schmoozer, and Shauna Boniface, creator, producer, and editor. Like and subscribe to Folkpod wherever you get your podcasts. And please give us five stars on iTunes. It really helps raise our profile for more listeners. Catch us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Folk Pod. Thanks for listening, and hope to see you next time.